morning again. If you will uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. So we are in this a sermon series on the, the doctrine and the work of the Holy Spirit, calling it Spirituality According to Jesus. And uh, we've seen so far that, right, we looked at Acts, that, that we, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we might be faithful witnesses to Jesus, to the resurrected uh, King. And then last week we looked at how, how we become Christians, how the Spirit um, makes those of Everybody by nature just doesn't care about God, and the Spirit makes us alive to Him to, to believe the gospel. And so this morning, what I want to do is, is see how Paul prays for the, for the Spirit to be at work in our hearts. Pray for spiritual experience is what we're looking at. And so let's read Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, and meditate on this together. This is God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we are loved with a love that is greater than we can imagine. Despite, uh, as we already heard this morning, despite knowing what we're actually like. And yet, as we just heard Paul say, there's more of Christ's love for us to understand and comprehend. And so I do, Lord, I pray that your spirit would strengthen us, strengthen our hearts with the love that we have been given, that we might then pour out our, our hearts, our lives in loving service uh, for our neighbors, uh, for, for Christ's church. So glorify Jesus uh, this morning, we pray. Amen. Right, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard those words uh, that, that God loves you, right? Um, been singing, I grew up in the church, so I've been singing Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so since, uh, since I was a kid. Um, actually singing it very loudly from the, the bathroom while my dad was preaching when I was like Samson's age. So <laughs> goes back a long time. But I also think, if you, honestly, if you go out to your neighbors and ask, do you believe that God is love and that he cares about you, they wouldn't really have an objection to that idea, right? They wouldn't be shocked. They'd just like, yeah, if there is a God, it's his job to love me and to support me. Um, 
But I think for, for Christians and, and non-Christians, as Paul's going to show us here, the reality of the love of God just doesn't impact our daily lives the way Paul is calling it to. Calling it to. Right? It can be true of Christians, right? We, we follow Jesus, the one who loves us and gave himself up for us, but in our lived experience, God can feel far away. Can feel like an idea more than a present person. And then you throw in some rough circumstances, throw some suffering in there, and it becomes even harder. Does God love me? Right? And so Paul's going to help us this morning with two different things. Uh, one, I think he's going to help us by saying, we, I don't, I'm, I'm including myself, we don't know what we mean when we say we want God to love me. And what, that, what all that entails, uh, that, that, that we have a small view of what it means to say we have the love of God. Right? I, I love the quotes in your bulletin, but I love what C.S. Lewis says about the way we don't understand love. Right? This is from The Problem of Pain. It says, when Christianity says that God loves man, it means that God actually loves humans. Right? It's not that he has some disinterested concern for your welfare, but in that awful and surprising truth, we are the objects of his love. You ask for a loving God, you get one. The great spirit you so lightly invoked is present. He's not a senile benevolence that just drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Nor is this the cold, distant generosity or philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate. Nor is this the care of the host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. This is the consuming fire himself. The same love that made the worlds persistent as the artist's love for his work, as despotic as a man's love for his dog, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting his love between the sectors. I don't know why. It passes to reason why any creatures, especially people like us, should have a value so prodigious in their creator's eyes. It's, there's a lot there, because he was a, a professor, but he's saying, you want God to love you, you got it, but don't think for a moment that this is a, a distant, uninter- uninterested, impassioned, convenient love, right? His love is a burden beyond what we know how to desire. In other words, rarely do we actually want to be loved as God actually loves us. So that's the first thing. We've got to clarify what it means to say that God loves us. And the second thing, I think, is, is for us to see as Christians, there's more to experience of God's love in Christ um, that we do. We settle far too little when it comes to knowing God experientially. Right? We have God as doctrine, and then there's the God we experience. Same person, but there's more. Right? And so that's, that's what we're going to look at as we look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is make God real to your heart by experience. It becomes real in our inner being. In the same way, like, my kids know I love them. And, and right, any child in a loving relationship with their dad, the father will say, I love you. But their experience of that love 
is different when the father, without asking, sweeps the child off their feet and gives them a rib-cracking hug, right? And so that's, that's what the Spirit does. He comes and sweeps us into and makes us aware, not only in our head but in our hearts, that we are loved by God. And so Paul's teaching us how to pray for that kind of experience, uh, that the Holy Spirit make, would make God's love real to our hearts. So let's look at this text and ask some questions, and I think it will help. Uh, and just by way of warning, I already feel inadequate because of the way Paul just keeps amping up and tries to give vocabulary to what's, what happens. But who is Paul praying for? This is what's fascinating. All right, what, what's surprising when you read this passage, he's praying for Christians to know this. Right? You, Christian, in the room, and myself, you need to know that God loves you. And it'd be easy for us to say, well, why should I pray for God to love me, for, for Christ to dwell in my heart, that I need the Holy Spirit uh, to, to fill me with the fullness of God? Because you can find those exact statements in Paul or everywhere else in the Bible to say, this is what happened when you became a Christian. It's in Ephesians, right? Paul said, you are, lo- you are loved. You were loved before the foundation of the world, chosen in love to be adopted as sons. You already have the love of God. According to God's great love, he made us alive together with Christ. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit, he says in chapter 1. So you have the Holy Spirit, and he's the guarantee of our future in the new heavens and new earth. Just by having the Holy Spirit, you're uh, unable to be disconnected from the living God. And then he describes the church as Christ's body, who is the fullness of him, who Christ who fills all in all. We have the fullness of Christ. And yet here is Paul saying to you and I and to the Ephesian church, you need to pray for this. So in other words, you could put it this way, that we have been swept up into the lavish love of God the Father when you become a Christian. You're now God's beloved. You're now irreversibly bound in this love by the Holy Spirit. You have him in your hearts. And you're now with this God forever who plans to show off his kindness for eternity. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Objectively, it is true. You have God's love. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father. And Paul says, I want you to know there's more. By experience. He still prays for Christians to know these things. And so the accusation, I think... um, or the, at least the implication would be, right, we don't understand the magnitude of the gift we've been given. We're, we're not controlled by it. How we get distracted or think we need something better. Right? I mean, think about it. Look at, look at ask this question, what, what do you pray for? Right? If you evaluate your prayer life, what, what would dominate your prayers? Right? John Stott writes convictingly, one of the best ways to discover a Christian's main anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of their prayers and their intensity. In other words, um, we, we pray most, we pray for what we want. We pray for what we care most about. And so Paul is interrupting our prayers to say, do you pray for this? 
Do you, do you pray prayers to, to know God more by experience? And I know as Presbyterians, we, we, we have a reputation to maintain, right? We, we don't talk about the Spirit. Um, we don't start our worship services by tradition of saying, we fully expect God to be here in the way and the drama and the excitement of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. And maybe that's just our Reformed Stoic nature, I don't know. But I know whenever I've, I spent a year and a half in a charismatic church, a reformed charismatic church in South Africa, run by South Africans in Madagascar. So it was a very eclectic bunch. But that was their, their expectation. Every time you walked in the room on a Sunday morning, you will experience the reality of God's love for you. Right? And so... Do you expect that <laughs> when you come to church, when you pray, uh, that this is something available, that God isn't distant, he's dwelling in your hearts? Right? Tim Keller uses this illustration that I find helpful, that it, you know, imagine someone gives you $100 million. Right? The moment you have that, that money, right, you're, 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 you have riches, you're loaded. But it's one thing to be rich it's a completely different thing to live and use the riches you already have. And to, to stop being anxious about your finances, to move out of that van that you live in down by, by the river. Right? To, to live in light of the riches you have. That's what this prayer is about. That objectively we have received the riches of God's grace in kindness through faith in Jesus we have the riches of God's glory. We have the unsearchable riches of Christ. Objectively, it is true. God is our Father. We have Jesus as our elder brother and the Spirit who's bound us in relationship forever with this God. But by experience, it's different to draw on the riches of God's love to where you know it and feel it. As Jesus would say, the, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, to know the love of Jesus as a bridegroom, to, to experience what it's like to have Jesus say, I am the friend of sinners. I am your friend. Right? That one of the signs I think that, that this is working in your life right, is, is the pronouns change. Right, It goes from God is love to God loves me. It's by experience. And so Paul here is praying that Christians would, would know that God loves them. And what's fascinating, you know what the context is in, in chapter 3? He is pleading, let's look at, you can look at verse 13. Paul's saying, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Paul's in prison. Right? And he's, he's saying, here's how I'm praying for you. And one of the fascinating things is Paul doesn't pray, get me out of here. You know, I, th I think what Paul is saying, what you need to be strengthened as a Christian is, is an understanding of God's love, even in suffering. And so, this prayer is for Christians. Second, how, how are we strengthened? And let's just walk through the prayer and, and meditate on this. Because what we're describing is what 
Christians in the past have called communion with God or fellowship with God or friendship with God. Augustine called it the ascent of the soul into God, um, just going deeper. And so Paul, Paul's prayer begins, For this reason I ask God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth are named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Right? There's a, a lot here, but I want to I zero in on what the work of the Holy Spirit is. He is strengthening your inner being to prepare you to be able to handle being loved by God as he actually loves you. Right? So he says, so you may be strengthened in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith so that you who are rooted and grounded in love may actually have the strength to comprehend the magnitude of the gift you have. Right? So we're asking that question, what does the Spirit do? Why does God give us the Holy Spirit? It's, it's to strengthen you to be able to handle and experience God's love to us in Christ. Right? To, to make doctrine real to our hearts. Thomas Goodwin, the, the Puritan pastor, describes the effect in the work of the Spirit this way. So just imagine Jesus speaking these words. Right? I'm giving you the Spirit so that you shall have my heart as surely and speedily as if I were with you. And he will be continually breaking your hearts either with my love to you or yours to me or both. He will tell you, the Spirit will tell you when I am in heaven that there is as true a connection between me and you and as true an intensity of affection in me toward you as is between my Father and me. And the Spirit's going to tell you that it is impossible to break this knot. It is impossible to take my heart away from you as it is impossible to take my Father's heart away from me. Goodwin is slowing down and saying, do you realize that what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is convincing your heart that Jesus sees you, knows you, and is dwelling with you. Even though he is in heaven, the Spirit's job is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To persuade you that nothing in all of creation, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, right, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Right? So, that's what the Spirit does. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Goodwin is saying. That the Spirit makes the gospel come alive in your heart as you meditate on the gospel. As you think about what's been done. As you pray the things you've been told and know are true. The Spirit... uh, turns up the, f- the flame, so to speak, to make you aware. So keep going here. All right, so the Spirit strengthening us with power uh, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And so we have Christ with us. And what it, it's a fascinating picture here. He says that we are rooted and grounded in love. Uh, he's, he's mixing metaphors. All right, we are rooted in love, meaning the soil 
that has the nutrients we need to grow as Christians in order to be a flourishing tree, uh, to bear fruit, to use Jesus' imagery, right? That soil that, that feeds our souls is the love of God. Right? That's, that's where we live as Christians. We've been planted in God's love. And second, it says we're grounded in love, right? Using a, a building metaphor, which makes sense if Jesus is dwelling with us and we are his house, right? It's the foundation of where we live, right? Again, is God's infinite and eternal love. It's the foundation of everything you do. In other words, um, by being connected to Jesus, it, his love is the way we, we live and move and have our being as Christians. Right? And then the prayer keeps going is not only is that your past tense experience, right? You've been planted. This is, this is now where you live, uh, rooted and grounded. He keeps going to say, may you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Right? So the power that we get through the Spirit making Jesus' love real to us is the strength to comprehend just the, the immeasurable scope of God's love for his church, for his people. Right? right? Know how high and, and, and low and how, how wide and long, Right? The, the ancient church loved to picture this. They described the, the length and breadth and the heights and depth. They just showed a picture of the cross. Right? You got the height, you got the depths, and you got the, the east to west dimensions here. Say, look at how great God's love is for us. And that is absolutely true. It's a great poetic image. But I also think the, the scriptures use even bigger metaphors. Right? You want to know how high... God's love is, we read it this morning, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for us. It's Psalm 103. You can't measure it. <laughs> Verse 12 of Psalm 103 again, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. Right? And so, what Paul is getting at here is you will grow in your faith when we comprehend, when we get our minds wrapped around that you can't measure the love that we've received and you can't measure how far God has removed our, our sins from us. Right? The idea is you've been swept into the life of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit and the more you understand what that means, the stronger you will be. Now, I think it's good to slow down because it is, it's a little bit, it can be abstract, right? We're, we're talking about something concrete, God loves us. But what does it actually feel like to, to experience the riches of God's love for us? And it's fascinating to listen to the, Christian testimonies and what that is like for them. So here's, here's George Whitfield. He describes what it's like to experience th 
of the magnitude of God's love. He says, one day the, the freeness and riches of God's everlasting love broke in on, on me with such light and power upon my soul that I was often just awed into silence and I couldn't speak. And I'd have to say, stop it, God, I need to go to sleep. I need some rest. The love, it's just too much love. <laughs> and, and my being feels like it's groaning under something insupportable, so I had to ask him to stop. <laughs> right? And so, you know, I've heard my mentor Mick would say, you know, sometimes you just get to say, God, stop loving me because I'm going to explode and somebody's going to have to clean up the mess. <laughs> right? But that's what it means, right? The Spirit's job is to prepare you to be able to handle the love of God. And so there are moments when the reality of what you've received in the gospel breaks in and it intersects and the Spirit nearly drowns you with an experience of the love of Christ. Right? Have you had that kind of experience? It might be a trickle, it might be a flood. Right? It depends on the person, it depends on your experience, it depends on the day. Right? Read the Psalms. It's not our experience is like this. But this is what we pray for. Uh, Jonathan Edwards. He said, uh, one day I saw the glory of the Son of God as the mediator between God and man. And I saw his wonderful, great, fuel, full, pure, and sweet grace and love, his meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens, and the person of Christ appeared inexplicably, ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all my thoughts and conceptions. And that continued for at least an hour, which kept me at times in a flood of tears and just weeping aloud. Right, he's old language to say I saw Jesus exactly as described in the scriptures and I was just overwhelmed with the reality of who he is and what he's done but his doctrine became experience right? for an hour he was overwhelmed by God's presence by the grace of the gospel and so I think these are just glimpses I think of Christians who've experienced something like this, right? It's, it's telling us that God's love is not this distant, impersonal force. It's if God's going to answer this prayer, you're going to have a vision of Jesus and the eyes of your heart are going to be gripped by what you see, all right? That, that's what Ephesians 1, that's what Paul prays in Ephesians 1, right? In Ephesians 1, he prays a prayer. This would be, you can look at verses 16, right? He says, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and to know the immeasurable greatness of his power working towards us who believe. Right? Paul's saying, may, may the eyes of your heart see Jesus, what he's done, and all the implications. Right? For me, right, this isn't 
This isn't something that happens often, but the times that it, it does become real, right? Sometimes it's just, I hear the scriptures and I just get stopped and say, wow, this is true. I can't believe this is true. Uh, sometimes it's, I've really screwed up in the last week, lost my temper about something silly or whatever it might be. There's this fresh awareness of sin and then you hear the assurance of pardon afresh. I say, how can this be true? But our, our, this is to be the prayer of the church that we might objectively know and subjectively experience the love of God in Christ. And that's one more point here before we close. Right? Paul doesn't just pray for you to know the love of God in Christ. He prays for y'all to know, right? He says, may you ha- that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. That would be every Christian, past, present, and future. Everyone else in this room who's a follower of Christ. In other words, we don't just pray for me, <laughs> right? It's all about me. Now, Paul, Paul won't let us make our experience of God's love just selfish. He's saying, you know, the church becomes strong when she together believes God loves her. I think it's fair to say that God's love is so immense and our experience, our individual experience is so small that it takes Christians from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every generation to testify to the strength and power of the love of God in Christ. Right? In other words, this is part of the reason to come to church because you hear of other people's experience with God's love in the gospel. Right? That One, you get confirmation. I'm not crazy. <laughs> right? I'm not making this up. I'm surrounded by loads of people who are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain, and I've experienced his presence. Right? It, t- it strengthens us then to hear the testimony of other Christians. I'm, I'm working through a, a missionary biography by a guy named Paul Long Sr. Um, I actually met him. He, he used to be the missions professor at RTS. He was 91 when I met him. Uh, but he was a, a World War II veteran. Uh, when he got out of the war, he became a missionary. And he planted j- churches in the jungles of the Congo, as well as in the, the wild west of, the Brazil, of Brazil in the 70s. And one of the very first chapter is all about how he learned. He got more of Jesus because of his fellowship with the African Christians, specifically with this lady named Shelley. I'm butchering her name, so apologies to any native Congo speakers. <laughs> right? But she was a woman who became a Christian. She loved being a part of God's new tribe, as she called it. She loved to serve her neighbors. Um, in fact, she, she um, got caught giving away all of her food to the poor patients who couldn't afford it because she kept getting skinnier and skinnier. But one day, Paul tells this story that um, she brought this naked, poor old lady to to the missionary's doorstep and asked for a blanket. And if you're a missionary in these contexts, you're constantly getting peppered with requests. So it's helpful to understand a little bit of his irritation, apart from his own selfishness. But he's, he's saying, you know, I just didn't feel like helping. And so 
using the cultural language. I just said, you know, it's not, there are loads of poor people who do not have clothes that don't know Jesus. So why are you asking me to show partiality to help this one person? When there's so much need, I can't help everyone. And so this lady smiled and said thank you and left. And he was a bit haunted, saying, I know this is, this is probably not going away anytime soon. Well, that evening, this Christian lady came back, knocked on the, well, they clapped uh, to come in, right? So she clapped to get the attention. She's now sitting on his doorstep in her, in her birthday suit, right? Smiling, saying, it's hot today, right? It's going to be cold tonight. Of course, Paul's saying, well, why are you naked if you're cold? <laughs> and she said, well, I gave my dress away to the lady that was here before because I know you couldn't show partiality to the pagan woman. But I'm of the new tribe of Jesus, and you couldn't leave me in need, could you? And so she left, walking down the path, smiling, singing, rocking a new dress and blanket. <laughs> and the chapter ends is saying, I'm a better Christian because of her experience with God's love. Right? Thank God for her who helps me experience the love of Christ through her. And so that's, that's part, right? This is just one. These are two experiences. So I think what Paul is getting at is, may God help us all understand and, and help each other understand the magnitude of God's love by being in community, by being in church, right? So uh, as we wind down here, I want to end by, um, let's start with a caution and a hope, right? Here's a caution. When you pray prayers like this, as we should, <laughs> Don't live for this feeling, right? This is, this is the goal. This is an objective reality. This is something we have, but it is, really, it is possible to make an experience of God's love an idol, uh, to, make, to say, I'm going to go from church to church, from concert to concert, from experience to experience, just longing for that one time where I knew God loved me, Right? In other words, where it's possible to show up and feel really guilty because I just don't feel it. Paul is saying both. You are loved in Christ. May you have that experience. Right? I mean, I've been around churches long enough to know that if you have a really good praise band, you can get an emotional experience out of anybody. Right? So that what, what's moving our hearts, what, what God is calling to move our hearts here is an experience with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Don't live for the emotions. Recognize the Psalms. <laughs> Today you could say, Lord, your steadfast love is better than life. And tomorrow you could join Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And both are acts of faith. And in either case, you're not loved any less. I mean, William Cooper would say that, right? Behind, behind a, a frowning providence lies God's smiling face. You're just waiting for the sun to clear away the clouds so that you can experience it. All right, so as a church, this is my prayer for us, and this is our, this is our hope. Um, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, that is, the Spirit making God's love real to us, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations. After everything we said that's true, this is the hope of the Christian, right? There's more. I mean, he's saying, yeah, pray for this. But now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or imagine. In other words, God's more committed to us knowing how much he loves us than we are. That because we have the Spirit and Christ with us, we have that assurance that God's at work in us. And he is able to do more than we ask or think. And so that's our hope as you pray this prayer is, God, make it real to my, to my heart in a way that I know it's you. And I'm also going to trust that you're, you're going to do this some days when I'm not even looking for it. <laughs> and I'm going to trust that this power that is at work within me uh, will not leave me alone till he sees me face to face. And may God get the credit, the glory in the church from now and forevermore. Right, so conclusion, right? Pray, pray for this. <laughs> pray for gospel renewal, re- revival in our churches, that, that we as Christians can say, yes, I believe Christ rose from the dead. Yeah, I know I am a moral failure. I don't deserve this. I am more desperately wicked than I, I'm, I'm aware of, but yet Christ came to dwell in my heart. And now through the work of the Spirit, he will tell me he loves me. Right? What will the effect be? And this is preview for next week. Right? If you, if you take Ephesians 1 to 3 seriously, that objectively you're loved, we pray for a subjective, lived-out experience with that love, the effect is, well, you're going to become a person who pours out a life of love. Right? That's what Ephesians 4 through 6 works out. Um, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the impact, if, if, if we start praying this prayer and God has, um, if we have the privilege of seeing God answer that prayer for us, you know what kind of person you're going to be or what kind of community we'll be. We'll be people who forgive We'll be equipped to love difficult people. We're going to be a people who want to serve the church, um, who bear with one another. Right? The, the, the more we're filled with the fullness of the love of Christ, the more we're given to then pour out in love for the church and for our neighbors in the service of the gospel. So it's a, it's a bold prayer. But may we have the courage to, and the hope and the belief that, that if we pray, God, make your love real to me, he will. He will answer and do more abundantly than all we ask or think because of the power at work in us. Let's pray. Now, Father, there's a lot that we have meditated on this morning. But I would just pray you would, your spirit would be at work so that we might have the strength to comprehend how loved we are in Christ. 
So grow us in faith, grow us in maturity here, grow us in our experience of, of your love, and then grow us in our desire to then, to then love our neighbors, Lord. So may, may we be a living testimony together with all the saints of your work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, All Must Be Well.